Good morning, I'm Dr. John Brooks. I'm a clinical professor at the University of Maryland School of Dentistry. I'm here with Neil Smaller and I'm on the Big Mouth Pharmacist podcast. Charcoal toothpaste and dentifrices hit the market about 10 years ago, and there really wasn't much science that was been published regarding safety. Charcoal, in fact, is a mineral that we don't really know the particle size for these products, so these patients may have some initial whitening of their teeth because they're removing some surface stain, but the overriding concern is whether or not it's going to thin the enamel as you remove the protective outer enamel you increase the chance of decay, tooth sensitivity, and ultimately weakening the tooth. Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil, I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Neil Smoller, holistic pharmacist and owner of Woodstock Vitamins. If you haven't done so yet, take a minute to write something nice review-wise. Hit us up with five stars, but more importantly, tell your wife, tell your friends to subscribe to our podcast. All right, let's do this. A common question I get at the pharmacy is, how can I make myself look silly and ruin my bathroom furniture all at the same time? Simple, I say. Charcoal toothpaste. If you're a fan of mine, you know I've written a blog on the subject, and as I was writing, I came across the research of our guest, Dr. John Brooks. Dr. Brooks is a dentist, researcher, and clinical professor at the University of Maryland School of Dentistry. Dr. Brooks is the man. He's the person responsible for one of the two major reviews on charcoal toothpaste when the trend blew up recently. Today, we talked to Dr. Brooks about this trendy stuff, specifically what he found and his professional opinion about charcoal toothpaste. Enjoy! Can you let our listeners know, as a practicing dentist, um, what you personally think of charcoal toothpaste and, and like what is charcoal toothpaste and what do you personally uh, feel about it, you know, putting aside the fact that you're an un, trying to be an unbiased researcher? Yeah, I, I have not seen uh, a patient that has experienced any untoward effects from these products. So this is strictly commentary based on what's in the literature and mm -hmm. just our overall knowledge of science. So I, in no way saying not to buy these products, that they are harmful, harmful, but the idea is to raise the threshold of concern, the age old Latin expression about caveat, be um, emptor, about being aware of uh, these products and know that they may have in fact some injurious components to it. So mm -hmm. There are a number of people in our society always like to gravitate to the newest, the greatest, uh, the trendy, uh, the hot fad that's out yeah. there. And this is really trending significantly. It started, or should say it became quite popular in Asia, putting charcoal in various uh, food products. The list is long, with cookies and breads and candies and cakes and ice cream. And What a waste uh, of junk food. Ugh. Well, you, you know, <laughs> when I make a, and I don't want to name a particular um, bakery product, but there's a type of muffin that we all know um, that comes uh, across the pond from England. I won't, <laughs> at least the name, I won't want to give credit to it, but we all put those in, the, in our toaster. And, you know, if it comes out a little bit too toasty, what do I do? I take a knife and I scrape off the charcoal because mm -hmm. to me, a, a muffin, again, I'm not going to mention the product <laughs> by name. Those muffins just don't taste as good when there's too much charcoal on it. And right. I'm thinking, where's the allure there and mm -hmm. putting it in toothpaste 
all the advertising you see people with this black color teeth um, <laughs> it i wasn't buying into it but then again you know fads are sometimes people do things and it becomes quite it it, it stays so yeah. i even i uh, had my son tried as a i was setting him up for a photo shoot just to <laughs> uh, include it in the article and it was all over the bathroom it was all over his, the sink and so ultimately, I ended up hiring a professional photographer for our article. We have a nice photo of the charcoal toothpaste on the toothbrush. Mm -hmm. But we just don't have clinical trials to where you have control patients who are just using some other type of toothpaste vehicle and then mm -hmm. those using the charcoal. And so we just... Yeah, so we don't know clinically if this is true, if the claims that they're making, and this is what people have to understand, that there is a difference between the, like the, um, I guess the capabilities of an ingredient and if there's any clinical significance there. You know, the idea that charcoal, when it's taken orally in a poison setting, it can detoxify as in suck up those potential you know, uh, poisons and prevent them from absorbing into the bloodstream. That doesn't mean that that's going to happen when you apply it to your teeth. We found no evidence of that in the literature. That's exactly correct. Right. So, and here's one thing, like when I, I so I wrote a big article about all of this, uh, and this is kind of why I was prompted to reach out to you to talk to you directly. But the, the idea that the charcoal toothpaste that are on the market don't even disclose how much charcoal is actually in their products. Well, that's part of it. And the other is that there are so many different sources for the charcoal. There's no standard descriptor for the charcoal. Some come from coconut, some come from premium, whatever that means. <laughs> some are pure hardwood, some come from virgin carbon hardwood, and some come from bamboo. And so as a consumer, the list that I had in our original manuscript, I think there was at least 20 different descriptors for the charcoal. Right. Is one better than the other? We don't know. Right. It comes down to particle size and, and how abrasive this stuff is. And the second area of concern that we were looking at was the fact that charcoal has in it many organic compounds and four of which have been recognized by the federal government as being potentially carcinogenic. Right. So that raised a whole lot of other so-called red flags about oral contact, uh, mm -hmm. perhaps not in a using it a couple of times, but for those who use it regularly and there's always a subpopulation of patients who take something to the extreme because they see great value in it. And it's like some people who use these um, bleaching solutions to whiten their teeth and they become multiple times during the day bleaching their teeth and creating all kinds of sensitivity from that. So our concern is also whether or not this poses a greater risk for, for harm. oral cancer yeah. um, or at least cellular changes. Right. I mean, the this goes to the natural fallacy, correct? The idea that because it's natural, it's safer. But we have to remember that the, the reason we're using charcoal, theoretically, is because of its ability to absorb things into it. It's very porous. It has a lot of surface area, so it pulls in compounds. So, you know, who's to say that your charcoal that's used in your toothpaste is actually going through any sort of quality control to ensure that there are no other compounds in there? And so this is a perfect example of why natural isn't necessarily better. In fact, it can be, you know, a disadvantage here. And people wouldn't consider it. They wouldn't even think about these kinds of things. When I started engaging in the uh, product search, uh, and I was um, just going to various websites and taking note of all the um, ingredients of each of these products, 
I couldn't help but notice that in about a third of the 50 brands that we had looked at the advertising, they contained this mineral called bentonite clay. Okay. So I did, did some reading on what is bentonite clay. And well, it's oftentimes included in various types of skin products mm-hmm. and wondered why it was included in a toothpaste. So then I looked at what are the ingredients of bentonite clay composed of, and it's actually composed of a silica mineral and silica in certain forms is also recognized by the federal government as a carcinogen or potential carcinogen. Mm-hmm. So that raised a whole other set of concerns, whether or not that poses another problem. Now, silica is primarily when it enters the body through the lungs is where we have higher risk for cancer. I'm not aware of anyone developing cancer from bentonite clay or in fact, using charcoal toothpaste. So in no way am I making those claims, but just raising concerns because it it just hasn't been studied of looking at patients who use charcoal toothpaste with bentonite clay certainly with charcoal on a long-term basis and whether or not they may have ill effects. Right. And one of the things that I pointed out um, while I was uh, creating our content around this was the idea that people are using charcoal toothbrushes and charcoal powder. And charcoal is most dangerous when we inhale it, just like the bentonite clay or the silica. So that potentially could be an added risk by ingesting or inhaling um, the charcoal. You can cause an aspiration pneumonia. Yes. And charcoal, it's even appearing in um, some whitening strips that I've seen. There's dental floss with charcoal. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get yeah. into it. Right. Let's I, I <laughs> let's mean, exploit it for what it is. You know, it seems seems endless. Yeah. Well, it's you know we can't go one show without talking about CBD. You know, so it's like CBD is in everything. We have a, a lube that has CBD in it. There's uh, CBD shampoos. You can't go anywhere without getting offered CBD for like your carrots and your you know your tea. Now CBD is in everything. So it's like everybody's just trying to cash in on a trend, and that's it's pretty clear like that's what's going on with charcoal the funny thing is when i uh, initially became curious about these products and i went on to a couple search engines and it seemed like every day i'd go back i'd find another product that would suddenly pop up it it was just incredible how how the marketplace is um just growing with these uh charcoal toothpaste and then oddly enough some of them would be taken down off the internet so i couldn't figure that out either. What was the reason for that? Right. Another area of concern I just want to point out, since we're talking about the charcoal toothpaste, is that charcoal, again, it has health benefits uh, as an anecdote for drug overdoses and whether it be accidental or intentional, but also known to inactivate besides just so-called regular medications and and poisons, but also fluoride. Mm -hmm. And so for those who are brushing your teeth with toothpaste, as we naturally do it for uh, removing plaque so we don't get cavities, mm-hmm. it also seems to be a bit contradictory. Why would someone use a product that doesn't have fluoride and almost all the brands don't have it? And the four, I believe it was four that had the fluoride. Don't quote me on the number, but it was a low number. Let me check my, my literature. Yes, there were four out of the 50 that in fact, had fluoride, but the concern is whether or not the charcoal would inactivate the fluoride. So in (laughs) essence, it's, um, you're not getting any benefit from as far as the normal uh, mode of removing or reducing 
seeing the incidence of tooth decay. That's actually a pretty strong point. I think that's something that we're going to like reiterate the idea that could charcoal adsorb into it the fluoride and then deactivate any of the you know, you know tooth decay preventing effects of your fluor- fluoridated toothpaste. So that's an important thing to talk about. And while we're kind of here talking about the formulation of toothpastes, one of the things that I noticed with the brands that I looked at is that, you know, the the claim here, again, is it's natural, so it's better. And a lot of them will remove SLS, which is a foaming agent, if people don't know, that can potentially lead to irritation in some people. So removing SLS from a toothpaste is you know, tends to be a wise decision, especially if you're trying to kind of do the best without, you know, without really sacrificing any of the quality. But if you look at the base of all of these toothpastes, it's not like it's really different or any higher quality than any other toothpaste out there. So the to make a paste, you need certain ingredients, and those ingredients are quote-unquote chemicals. So again, the idea that, oh, I don't want to put chemicals into my body, I want something you know that's natural. Well, you really can't get away with that because we have to make a paste at the end of the day. And um, so when you look at these products, not only do we not know what kind of charcoal or, or you know the, the cleanliness of the charcoal um, or the amount of charcoal, we also are just exposed to the same exact compounds that we would be exposed to with a, a regular toothpaste, except now this one has charcoal in it. Well, as a little bit of a segue, we've been also looking at charcoal mouthwashes. So this is um, kind of sprung into this other direction. Um, and so we, we have some preliminary um, literature and product review and found that um, less than 10% of the um, we looked at 36 um, brands of charcoal mouthwash and found that less than 10% had recognized therapeutic agents recognized by the American Dental Association for reducing gingivitis or reducing uh, halitosis or as people call it, bad breath. Mm-hmm. So having agents that are recognized as whitening agents. And so the charcoal mouthwashes is a whole nother perhaps uh, questionable uh, therapeutic value of, of using that. Right. Most of it essentially is just water with charcoal. And <laughs> um, uh, they throw in um, so many different organic compounds, thinking that it's somehow going to have some improvement in your health. And, and maybe it does. There are so many compounds that we, we discovered in the ingredients, but there isn't the uh, rigorous um, science to use these products to test them and see whether or not there's any benefit. Right. And it sounds like they're not even like pharmaceutically elegant. They're not even sophisticated products. They just sound like they're kind of schlopped together. Um, schlump or schlop? <laughs> schlopped, schlopped <laughs> together. <laughs> well, there's some that have, again, some um, known biologic activity like cinnamon and um, aloe. Right. Uh, yeah, aloe is actually in some of the mouthwashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, curcumin is uh, seemed to be trending a little bit. We saw several mouthwashes with that, but no one's ever proven that putting that in a mouthwash is going to have any uh, oral enhancement. Right. One of the concerns um, I saw this more with the mouthwash than with the toothpaste, but there's some validity or overlapping concerns is that with all these organic compounds that they toss in that a number of them have the potential for causing hypersensitivity reactions. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a patient person who happens to have a rather highly allergic profile, mm-hmm. you best hope that they're going to read all the ingredients before they put these 
rinse with the mouthwashes so they don't set themselves up for a rather severe allergic reaction. Right. And you're kind of touching on this idea that we call it fairy dusting or pixie dusting around here, where they're just sprinkling in a small amount of these ingredients. So that way they can mark on the label that they have the ingredients in there because they kind of like annotate or connotate. I never know what the correct word is. I'll have to ask my editor patients. But anyway, they just kind of signal to people that it has a perceived health benefit. So when you said curcumin like that, of course, I was like, of course, because everybody wants to take turmeric because they believe inflammation is the devil and it's it's the root of all of our problems, which technically it is, but using curcumin isn't really going to address that. So it's it's more like virtue signaling, I feel, you know, and like they just sprinkle in these doses. But then, yeah, some people are going to have horrible reactions to these and they're, you know, at best, they're just throwing money away. At worst, they could really have a problem here. Well, the cost of these is all over the map. Yeah. Many of them are, are under $10, mm-hmm. uh, but some are kind of pricey. Yeah. And uh, they, a couple of the websites uh, for these products, you have some celebrities who uh, seem to have either tacitly or just somehow they name drop um, that they use these products. And, and so they put a higher price tag, figuring they can get a greater bit of allure. It was really funny. One of the charcoal toothpaste, there was so much hyperbole in the uh, advertising for many of these products. And one actually went so far as to say that it could uh, reduce the symptoms of ulcers and gingivitis. Mm-hmm. And what particularly got me uh, amused was also scurvy. Right. Christopher Columbus and his crew were subjected to scurvy because they didn't have a daily intake or a regular intake of vitamin C. Right. You just don't see scurvy, not a, on a regular basis. Anymore. I don't know any pirates. <laughs> I know no pirates. So no. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to use this toothpaste so I don't get scurvy. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's a real plus. We have a severe deficiency of vitamin C supplements in this country where people feel like they need the supplements to make their lives better. And it's one of the biggest lies that I feel like we've been told in the industry is that vitamin C will improve your health when you take it in an isolated high dose synthetic form. You know, although Linus Pauling did live to be 90, so and he was the, <laughs> the, the grandfather of vitamin C. So let's not totally, uh, we won't totally discredit it, but I have a couple 92 year old patients that smoke and drink every day as well. So, uh, which track do we take? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's talk about the claims of charcoal toothpaste. We've talked about the formulation quite a bit and we've touched on a few of these things, but the biggest claim that it makes is that it has antimicrobial activity so that it's going to kill off bacteria, uh, viruses, fungus even, uh, in your mouth. So let's talk about that claim. There are a few laboratory studies um, that have come out um, more recently about charcoal that in small studies that there's the potential there can have some um, antimicrobial um, benefits, mm-hmm. but we it's just not field tested in a vehicle such as the toothpaste or the mouthwash to um, demonstrate that uh, after using this for six months or so, that there's going to be a reduction in gum disease or cavities or reducing the bacteria so that you will have less bad breath. Uh, bad breath is oftentimes um, from various oral pathogens or bacteria. So mm-hmm. there's no there's no substantive um, proof that uh, this charcoal is going to have any of that effect. Right, over brushing alone because, you know, we, are, we use antimicrobial we get antimicrobial benefit from brushing itself, right? I did that as a dental student. We did an experiment where we just brushed our mouth uh, with a toothbrush without any toothpaste and then 
various versus using toothpaste and, and just uh, the agitation to remove the plaque alone uh, without any vehicle uh, can remove some of the uh, bacterial count. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, people are going to get some benefit, whether they use charcoal toothpaste or whether they use um, um, brushing your teeth with tooth with, I'm sorry, with um, peanut butter. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to remove some of the plaque, but the question is whether or not the added vehicle of the charcoal is of any value. And right. um, we, we are just raising that concern. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I try to teach people is about the in vitro versus in vivo activity, especially when it comes to killing uh, bacteria and microbes. You know, you can put salt water on bacteria in a Petri dish and kill them. You know, that doesn't mean that ingesting salt water is going to cure any conditions or, 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 you know, be your next anti-infective agent. So, um, so moving on to the whitening effects of charcoal you're putting black gunk on your teeth. How is this going to make your teeth whiter? Well, the abrasiveness will physically remove, scrape off, if you will, some of the, the plaque and perhaps uh, some um, cigarette stains. Or There was one uh, brand of mouthwash that actually advertised that it removes cannabis stains. It's like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but... But it comes down to, again, uh, enamel doesn't grow back other than microscopically. There can be, uh, there's some remineralization that takes place uh, with both fluoride and um, some other agents. But it's not if you have reduced by a certain thickness of enamel, what is lost is lost forever type of thing. And so the concern is just a subtraction process of irreversibly removing uh, this protective layer. And once you reduce the enamel, it's much easier for a cavity to grow rapidly because the next layer of tooth, the this dentin, the internal layer, mm-hmm. is not as strong. And so a cavity, once it breaches through the enamel, is much more rapidly destructive and can lead to not only weakening, but of course, pain as it encroaches upon the pulp or nerve tissue. And I've not seen in the literature Anyone who has come forward where you have a clear before and after type of scenario where they had zero decay in a tooth and after, say, six months where a tooth became severely decayed. So there's no reported injuries from these products yet, but it's so new and it's just speculative that these are actually helpful and also perhaps, again, harmful. Yeah, I mean... Let's talk more about this abrasiveness because one of the things I was trying to do when I was writing our stuff was beat up the idea that charcoal scrapes away your teeth because that's our first instinct is to say that these things are probably coarse. But I think that there's, and you know, I'm not a dentist guy, so there is a relative abrasiveness, I think. And if I'm correct, the ADA says it has to be 250 or less in this scale. And a lot of uh, the charcoal toothpastes were reported to be between 70 and 90, or I think it was more that activated charcoal in general is between 70 and 90, so it was well below the threshold of abrasiveness. I only found one brand that had advertised uh, their abrasive score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think that's that's kind of what I was hoping you would say because because this isn't regulated in a, in a manner like. I don't think people understand the idea of certifying toothpaste. Do you have a lot of background on that and the idea of like the certified ADA toothpaste? 
No, I'm not on any of those committees or boards or things. Um, I just know, though, that um, that the claims of these products are um, uh, not injurious is of great concern. And going back to the mouthwashes, two of the mouthwashes that we uh, just read the advertising um, indicated that they were, in fact, mildly abrasive. Wow. So mm-hmm. um, it's almost as if to say, yeah, go ahead and use it. It's it is abrasive. They right. readily admitted it. So. Right. They want it to be abrasive, and that and <laughs> that that's kind of where I'm getting at. It's like the I you know we are all practitioners, and we're saying, ah, that's probably going to scrape up your teeth, and it's like brushing with Brillo. You don't want to do that. You know, you're going to scrape away that top layer. It makes it yellow. We don't want that. We want it to be soft, and and you know the. the American Dental Association certifies toothpaste to validate the claims, so the fluoride levels and the uh, the physical properties of the toothpaste. So one of those being the abrasiveness, and none of these toothpastes, I don't think, are certified by the ADA. Um, so that way, we don't and uh, we don't know for certain what the abrasive scale is going to be. So in the marketing, I saw like a lot of people talking about how activated charcoal is technically on that lower end of the scale, but none of the products then proved that point you know that's correct it's it's not out there it's a bait and switch is kind of what i'm getting at you know just one aspect about the advertising i found it amusing so many um consumer friendly terms that are appear in the advertising as if throwing in as many uh appealing words the better the the um mm-hmm. Top the heap was using the word organic, but it was about a fourth of the 50 brands also advertised that they were vegan. I'm thinking, well, is there any toothpaste that have things that would <laughs> not be vegan? I mean, it's, yeah. they, we use the word natural, bunny friendly, because um, some products, when they're tested, they're tested on animals. So they wanted to make clear that these were as harmless as possible. Yeah. And, and even, um, a couple of the mouthwashes, which was odd, that included that they were okay to swallow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I had some concerns about that. Yeah, um, not I didn't see that in the uh, toothpaste advertising, but again, the mouthwashes. I think there were two that indicated it was a, it was safe if, even for children to consume and. I have some concerns about that. Absolutely. You know what we should do is probably, let's do a summary of the study. So why don't you just kind of give us a walkthrough of what it is that you guys did, um, what your intent was, you know, what was your kind of hypothesis, what were you looking for, you know, how many um, sources you looked at, all the stuff that you would normally do during this, and then like what the outcome was. So if you want to just take a minute and kind of do that spiel, that would be great. Well, I'm a professor at the dental school here, and we get a regular feed from uh, the American Dental Association emails. And I had seen, I guess it was early part of last year, a short paragraph about charcoal toothpaste uh, that was emerging. And uh, I'm a curious person by nature and explored what that was all about. And uh, so I started going to our our great resource for articles, um, medical and dental, is called um, PubMed. It's one of the, there's several different search engines. And it just really wasn't much uh, in on there about charcoal toothpaste. There were a number of articles in using charcoal in preventive times and, and even in today in some rather indigenous populations where they just use natural products and would brush their teeth 
with uh, soot or or just raw charcoal. Mm-hmm. And so I found that to be interesting. So then I went to Google and Amazon just to see what types of products were in the market. And again, established a database, so-called database. This was kind of an informal study of just looking at the advertising of these products. We did not take any of these products into the laboratory and analyze them. It was strictly just what is in the public domain and then looked at the body of literature on various ingredients of uh, the charcoal toothpaste. So then I just composed statistics as far as what percentage of the 50 had whitening advertising claims and how many claimed to detoxify the teeth and all those other components we talked about. Wasn't able to refute any of these claims. It was strictly just to look at what has been advertised Mm -hmm. and then counter that with whether or not there was any literature to support any of these claims. And that's where we just kind of ran to that proverbial brick wall there and just couldn't find anything to validate that um, these products were um, as claimed. Right. So how many um, sources and journals did you end up uh, looking through? I mean, I, I think that it was uh, quite a significant number of articles you looked at, right? Well, journals have, uh, they try not to have too many sources uh, at times just because of need for space for other articles. We had 41 references, but I probably read um, maybe double that number of articles um, in just conducting my background research on the topic. I, I like to uh, get as familiar with the topic as possible when I'm writing an article for publication. So, I mean, charcoal, it goes back, you can, there's a lot of historical uh, conversation about charcoal. It goes back to Hippocrates and various other ancient populations of people that used these products um, just off the land. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's, it's nothing new, but it's just a, a resurgence of, of interest in this. Right. My favorite quote, I think, when I was reading about this, uh, that mentioned you and your research, is when you called uh, the claims bold-faced hyperbole. That's- I don't know if I said bold-faced, but I did use the word hyperbole. <laughs> they quoted you on that, so you better you better contact your agent and make sure that <laughs> somebody's <laughs> used that. No, yeah. I, that that was a little stretcher, but I did I did use the word hyperbole though. <laughs> yeah. So the, of of the advertisers. So all in all, charcoal toothpaste seems to be a trend uh, that has potential risks. Uh, there's no evidence to back up the claims. Um, it would be great if there was evidence. We, you and I, would both change our tune, but it doesn't really look like we're going to get that evidence. One, nobody's going to do the studies, and two, if they did, probably it's not going to turn out favorable towards charcoal toothpaste. It's very expensive to um, get a product um, researched. Well researched. Yeah. In fact, mm-hmm. this is this is um, a problem even with reputable companies such as. Well, I won't mention the big aver- uh, big companies, but there are a number of well recognized toothpaste companies, but they keep changing formulas. They put in stripes and <laughs> I don't know what they put in, but they put stuff in. And so every time you change the formula a little bit in order to get the uh, American Dental Association seal of approval, uh, you have to then research it again. And so there are products that are probably okay, mm-hmm. uh, but because of the great cost, they don't have that seal of approval on them. Right. 
So if we're going to try to have our listeners go out on a positive note to, you know, have the best dental care that they can, but they're kind of in the boat where they want to make the best choices to not expose themselves to the most harmful things. What kind of advice do you give people when they're trying to select toothpaste? Well, I'll give you the advice that I gave my patients when I was practicing. Right. Is that when a product has the American Dental Association seal of approval, we know that it has in fact been laboratory tested for both being safe and effective. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, there may be other products that are, are safe, but I try to keep the uh, toe the line very strictly to my advice to my patients and wanted them to use products that have known therapeutic value and safety. Mm-hmm. What with both the abrasiveness, uh, whether or not it can have some antimicrobial effect it was a brand of toothpaste, which I won't mention names years ago, and they came out uh, strictly with promoting white teeth. And I tell you, it was gangbusters for a while. Everyone thought this was such a great thing until they then looked at the abrasive score of this toothpaste. And uh, no great surprise, it was then taken off the market when they finally had enough proof that uh, it was so abrasive that it was causing injury to the teeth. And I suspect that this is, we don't know the future for chronic use of charcoal toothpaste, but it needs to be tested rigorously before people use it for long periods of time because it might be uh, doing themselves a disservice. Do you have any advice for people that may be inclined to jump on trends like charcoal toothpaste? Well, <laughs> I'm going to quote a professor of mine from dental school, mm-hmm. uh, and this is, has broad strokes of value. And his advice was never be the first to try something new, <laughs> but never be the last either. <laughs> and I use that all my life in, in making decisions about things that are not even relevant to dentistry. It's There's always someone who steps forward when someone would say, who wants to try this first? And of yeah. course, there are a bunch of people who kind of step backwards a step, mm-hmm. waiting for the proverbial guinea pigs to kind of see where uh, things go. And so that's how I uh, followed my uh, advice for my patients and and personally as well. It's There's value in not uh, rushing forward and letting the science help dictate uh, what is a good thing. And unfortunately, there's the market has been flooded with these um, so many products and they just have not been field tested. So the consumers left with, do they want to try it and take a dare? I don't think that people are going to be in any harm's way if they're using it a couple times and just for fun type of thing, but we just don't know the long-term implications. And again, it comes down to this carcinogen thing. There, there's some studies where they look at people who eat red meat. They have cooked it over an open fire and it becomes charcoal. Mm-hmm. Is that an adjective? Charcoal? I would say like they grilled it and uh, there was lots of uh, charcoal burns, I guess, on it. Okay, that mm-hmm. sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they they would um, find that there was increase in carcinogens in the red meats. And so there's some evidence that maybe this increases the chance of cancer. It's They're still trying to sort out the science of that. But at least there's still some body of evidence to support that chronic exposure to charcoal may in fact lead to some forms of cancer. And I'm just not in a hurry to put that stuff in my mouth on a regular basis. Again, I'm scraping off that muffin when it has too much uh, burnt pieces on it there. 
Amen to that. Well, Dr. Brooks, thank you for your curiosity, which led to your review, which led to our conclusive statement that there's not enough evidence yet for this trend. And um, we have to really weigh our choices better before we jump on these trends. So thank you very much for coming on, sir. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, that's a pretty ridiculous trend, if I must say so. Using charcoal powders and paste to brush your teeth. The promise seems amazing. Whiter teeth, less bacteria. They use the word detox a lot in the advertisement like that means something uh, i get that it's kind of a cool experience you make your mouth all black and it's fun for social media and to scare your kids but don't use this stuff for all the reasons i stated but more importantly because it's a trend that's it as guests have advised in the past here participate in a trend but don't be the first person in wait and see what happens waiting to see if the rubber really meets the road and with charcoal toothpaste it doesn't I want to thank Dr. Brooks for taking a deep dive on the subject here. If you have any friends who use charcoal toothpaste and want to make fun of them or shame them out of it, please share this episode with them. Also, check out my monthly rant on the subject over at woodstockvitamins.com. Type charcoal into the search bar and our article will come up first. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to bashing another silly trend to pieces in the future with you. But until then, keep listening, keep learning, and be well. <laughs>